Well, there it is. Praise God that that's not lost on the company of the elect. Uh, that's our cry. And uh, there's nothing like uh, the sunset of life, death as it creeps in, and make Jesus ever more sweet. And this morning I'm going to try to give you Jesus, and uh, hopefully you'll walk away encouraged. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, it is Palm Sunday. Uh, a week that the church throughout her history is recognized as being critically significant to the life of the New Testament local church. We, we have the joy of living as a faith community on this side, the accomplished side, the finished side, the, the, uh, uh, the clear understanding side of the coming of Messiah in his first advent. Uh, Jesus has said he has called us friends because comparatively he's told us everything. We know the Messiah's name. We know where he was born. We know what his parents, who his parents were. We know that he lived a perfect, impeccable life. We know that he lived his whole life in complete obedience to the will of the Father. We've got a, we got a glimpse into the Trinity a little bit and, and, and all of its mystery as we observe the life of this one Jesus of Nazareth who walked the dusty roads of Galilee, who himself was the very unique God-man. We have this. We possess... Jesus and his death, his burial, and his bodily resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his proclamation over death, and uh, his coming soon presence in our midst again. This is the property of we the Gentiles, we the churches, we sung about that kindred from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. That's who we are. We're a very mixed bag of people, aren't we? And we're good at that. We all come under the banner of the person of Jesus, and we find unity in him, not in our race, not in our kindred or clan or tribe. We are all significant as a body functioning under the head. Uh, this is a mystery after mystery, just pouring forth. I mean, I'm a PE major, and I know this stuff. Amen. This is amazing. These are astounding truths. I, they tumble off my lips, and I don't even know what I'm saying. Seriously, we know so much more. We say so much more than we genuinely know. The mysteries are incalculable. All of heaven, eternity, will be one aha moment after the next as we peel into these ideas. Amen. Believers, this is yours. This is yours. This is this Jesus that we seek to understand this morning. It is this Jesus who the gospel writers tell us, tell us enter, enters into in this week. From heaven's perspective, if, if it had a day timer and a calendar, this week was circle. And there's a particular day, not Friday, but Sunday that's circled. Amen. And the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. And this is what we own, this is what we possess, and this is who we have. So we're going to take a look uh, at the, uh, the gospel writer's account, Matthew, concerning this Palm Sunday, as we like to call it, as it's popularly understood. This is the day when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, really for the last time. And um, all the gospel records uh, 
seem to quicken in their tempo. The, the mood coming up to the final week of the life of Jesus is, is if we could put it in musical terms, it's that crescendo. It's, it's, it's that movement where, where all literally of eternity and, and, and the longings of the faithful have, have looked into and desired to understand. It is this week. The gospel writers together account for 55 different events in this week alone. Can you imagine having 55 events? That's a lot. Some of you say, well, I kind of have that. Well, I don't think you have these kind of events. <laughs> you know, and I appreciate that. Um, the gospel writers shared in, in years' time 55 events with respect to Jesus, but in this week alone, there are 55 events that they want to press in upon the people, the readers of Scripture, concerning this person, this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, this one who is worthy of our worship, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, so let's take our, our Scriptures there. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 17. We're going to, we're going to um, pick up an interesting thought, really a, a thought that I hadn't observed. Um, typically we read... Um, 1 through 10 or 11, uh, but there seems to be a little carryover in verses 12 with respect to the cleansing of the temple. That's a, that Matthew at least wants to help us see and appreciate. So we're going to go ahead and, and read uh, through verse 17 here. So when they had approached Jerusalem and had come uh, to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you gentle, gentle, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. Crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, is it, it is written... My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying, Jesus? And Jesus said to these Pharisees, these scribes, these chief priests. Yes, have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out 
of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. So let's look to the word of prayer uh, as we come to this passage of scripture. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for this whole week that we as the church understand and we embraced by your grace for your glory Jesus you are elevated in our hearts and minds by your choosing as the God of heaven we worship you we thank you even as we're studying the book of Job who cried out for an umpire somebody who would be in bodied form that he could talk to and see and touch and feel but he had no one. Jesus, you came and fulfilled that longing of Job's heart. And we look forward to seeing you, touching you, and knowing you as we know one another. We thank you so much for, for that. And this week, and you came once and did that. We look forward to your coming again. We pray that as we think about these things, as we stir our hearts to be the worshipers that you want us to be, we pray that you would be pleased with what you see, Jesus that those under the sound of my voice would be encouraged uh, as we seek to give them you, Lord Jesus, you who are all that we long for and desire. It's in your precious name we pray these things. Amen. So we do want to, Mike asked me to say welcome to the guests, and I missed that completely as I came up here. So we just want to make sure that if you're here for the first time, you know you're welcome. We won't do anything in particular point you out per se but we do have a gift as you leave the ushers will get that to you a little later but we just want to acknowledge and thank you for being here and we do believe in divine appointments around here uh, and perhaps if you're coming in maybe having just known somebody and have been come as a guest we want you to know we're so thankful for you to spend your time here with us and hopefully it'll be a profitable time hopefully we'll be able to uh, help encourage you in your understanding of the word this morning. So thank you for being here. But Matthew chapter 21, um, for those of you who teach around here, um, we, we understand that uh, sometimes the simplest thing is the best thing to really understand a passage of scripture. And it's that tack I'm going to take here this morning. There's obviously a lot that can be said about Jesus's triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. But I want to just simply take a look at really the characters or the players in this story, this narrative, this truth-telling of Jesus's life. And, and I want us to see who these characters are. I want us to perhaps identify ourselves in some of their attitudes, their actions, some of their responses to Jesus, and some of the impact that Jesus had in their life that continued. So today I'd like to simply look at, obviously, Jesus himself, uh, he will save him for the end. But I'd like to look at uh, uh, who the good guys are. In my mind, the good guys in this passage are the disciples. We'll look at them and what they did and how they responded. Uh, then I'd like to, you know, if you have good guys, you obviously have bad guys. So we're going to take a look at the bad guys. And we want to kind of clearly understand, with respect to Jesus' triumphal entry, what, what were they missing? What, what did they do that was just so... Uh, inappropriate and, and so missed the whole idea. And then if you've ever studied uh, dramatic plays, 
there's a third kind of a character, and this character is uh, really a reflective character. If you've ever used tinfoil, you pull it off the roll and you look at it, you can see your reflection, right? Uh, and you can also use it for all kinds of different things in the kitchen, but that's not the point here. The point here is there are foils who are characters in our story, and they reflect something. They reflect either how good the good guys are or how bad the bad guys are. And uh, we're going to look at some foils. I believe there's some foils in this passage. And then we're going to look at the hero, right? Every good story has a hero. And there's only one hero in all of the Bible, and that's God. And in this case, it's Jesus Christ. And uh, we have an infallible narrator, the Holy Spirit, so you don't have to worry about being led astray. You know, like when you open a Tom Sawyer novel, seems like, uh, or Huck Finn, those guys, Mark Twain loves to lead his readers astray, right, as a narrator. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah, we have all that we need and exactly what we need, and he's going to lead us right where we need to go. So when we're in Old Testament context, uh, for those of you who teach, that's always an appropriate outline. And it's a good outline to, to service you as you look at the Old Testament. We have an Old Testament context here, uh, and so we'll use that as our outline. So first of all, here, I want to I take a look at uh, our, bad, our, our good guys, our good guys, um, and what is so good about them. Well, we read here in, in, our, first, uh, in our first section... These are called the disciples. Verse, verse 1 and following. When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Beth, Bethphage at the mount. Jesus sent two disciples. And here they are. These are these two disciples. Saying to them, go into the village opposite you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, then you say... And he tells them exactly what to say. And, uh, and then uh, verse 6, and the disciples went, and what did they do? They did just as Jesus had instructed them to do. So the good guys in the story are those who follow or fall in line with the desires of the hero. The desire of the hero here is that they would go out, find a donkey. They would secure that donkey in exactly the way he told them to secure it. And he would bring them to him. And, and this whole business, as mundane as it may appear, the obedience of these disciples inaugurate or begin this critical week of Jesus' ministry. And if that weren't enough, they were fulfilling prophecy made thousand, a thousand years ago before these disciples were ever born. You know, and as we look at good guys, and as you and I want to be good guys in the story of our life, we want to be in line with who Jesus is and, and what he desires for our life. I don't know about you, but sometimes obedience gets a little mundane for me. You know, day in and day out, right? I've been in the Lord 40 years now. That's a long time, maybe even a little bit longer, in fact. And I would confess to you that the disciplines of godly living are, in fact, that. They are disciplines. They are things that I have to, I don't always feel like doing. In fact, I would confess that 
rarely do I feel like doing them. But because Jesus is my master and my Lord, and I am a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I seek to try to obey. And what I want us to see, those of us who are trying to be disciples of Jesus, those who want to be the good guys in the narrative of Grace Church of Menor and our impact in this community here in 2022, know this and write this down, that your day-to-day simple obedience to the truth of the Word of God and the desires of King Jesus in your life is, a, is powerful. It may seem mundane, but know this, that the fingers of providence are at work. And as we observe from this passage, the fingers of providence are using these two disciples who simply go get a donkey, and they do it exactly the way Jesus wants them to do it, and they bring it. Folks, they are inaugurating one of the most important holy weeks that the church enjoys. You know, Jim and Tom. They ask, Jesus says, just tell them this. Okay, okay, sure, okay. So they just go, right? And they bring the donkey. And folks, prophecy of scripture is fulfilled in that moment. I want you to see your life today. Palm Sunday, 2022. Those of you who are pursuing obedience as critically significant in the scope of salvation history. There are people out there who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in God's providence, he wants to use you. I want you to know that all the effort and energy to try to obey, to be that disciple that Jesus wants you to be, is not lost. It's not swallowed up in time and insignificant. No, the fingerprints of providence are going to use it. Because what's critical in this dispensation is not only are those who profess with their mouth Jesus as Lord, but it's those who are willingly submitted to the message that they're trying to share with others. That is one of the critical characteristics of the New Testament believer. There isn't, we're all hypocritical. We can confess that, right? None of us are quite what we long to be. We're in this relational reality, this tension. But Jesus wants you to know today, at the inauguration of his Passion Week, those simple, day in, day out, obedience, trying to do what God wants you to do. Moms, those of you who are at homes who are once again dealing with kids, and dads with kids, and spouses who are trying to work out their salvation together, These are not insignificant duties. These are the things Jesus wants you to do and are critical to do. And as you take them up with the significance that they genuinely have, you're giving a lot of fodder, giving a lot of tools to the fingerprints of providence to be used through your life. This is what disciples do. They just obey. They just obey. These are the good guys in our passage. These are the good guys in our passage. It's stunning to me in verse number five, or four or five. This took place. Here it is. 
to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet years and years ago. Behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. When the Holy Spirit spoke those words back through Zechariah, he was thinking of, in our imaginary names, Jim and Tom. <laughs> These would be the guys who effectuate this amazing, amazing reality. Jesus gives amazing significance to our life, doesn't he? Amen. Everything matters. All the energy, all the challenge, all the difficulties, it matters. Jesus wants you to know that, I believe, and it's a critical part here. Then we come to the bad guys. We could talk about the crowds a little bit, but we're not going to look at them necessarily. We're going to look at the bad guys here. Verse number 12. And when Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but, but you are making it a, a, a den of thieves or of robbers' den. And the blind and the lame came to, the, to him in the temple and healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna, son of David, they became what? What's the word there? Indignant. Indignant. Um, these are the bad guys the chief priests and the scribes. And it's very important that we locate clearly what was so bad about the bad guys. Was it the fact that they were among the company of priests, probably among the 24 different companies of priests? Is that what Jesus points out that's bad about them? Not at all. No. Not at all. Does he point out the fact that the scribes were legal experts? They were people who read the Mosaic Law, understood it, knew it, were trying to apply it, and keep it up and maintain it. Was that what was so terrible about, or so bad about the bad guys? Does, does our author here point that out? No, not at all. Those aren't necessarily the issues. The issue is fundamentally the same issue that I had before I came to Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was indignant when anybody tried to tell me what to do. I was indignant. You see, my problem, like the scribes and Pharisees, or the scribes and chief priests in our passage, their issue was with the authority of the Lord Jesus in their life. From their perspective, Jesus was just another guy. A good teacher, perhaps. But when Jesus started healing people, when Jesus started throwing tables over in the temple, when Jesus started to do things on the Sabbath that, was, that demonstrated he had an authority unlike any other man who ever lived. He was Lord of the Sabbath. The temple was his house. And he had the absolute divine right to command men in every place for all time to repent of their sins. And he himself had the ability to grant that forgiveness. This was the issue. 
their indignation. When Jesus, or in this case, the children, are simply saying, recognizing that this individual, this one who's coming in on this colt, this donkey, is anointed of God. This is the Messiah. We would argue the crowds sort of missed it. They called him a prophet of God. They equated him with Isaiah, Jeremiah, or I almost said Lamentation, or whatever, Ezekiel, Daniel. The children don't call him a prophet of God. The children just simply give him he's the son of David. This is the Messiah. This is a little different feel these, these kids give us. So, so, so they're indignant. Um, their problem was they had authority that was delegated to them by the Romans. Uh, and, and no one could ever call that into question. You know, you have your own authority, don't you? Yeah, you, you know, we... We live in a day and age where rights are important. Well, when it comes to the question of our eternity, I would highly recommend you setting aside that whole concept, that whole construct. You, you don't want what's fair and just and right based on your own authority. Trust me, you want grace Amen. and mercy. Amen. You want what you don't deserve, Amen. right? So always when, when indignation is creeping up in your life, dearly beloved, that's not a good thing, I would say generally. So watch out for that. That's the earmark of the old unbelieving heart, that old nature, potentially, that you've got, I've got, we still got it. Learn to raise an eyebrow at indignation in your own spirit. Watch out for that. So these, these bad guys became indig indignant. They couldn't take, they could take Jesus on their own terms, but they couldn't take Jesus on Jesus' terms. And that's hard, isn't it? Because Jesus continues to roll through his life as our Lord, as our boss. I think somebody mentioned that this morning. Ben did. And he has no equal. He'll tolerate no rival, including me, as I think I sit on the throne of my own life. Uh, so I don't want that. Jesus is worthy to sit on the throne of my life. And I want to be careful about indignities or indignation. Uh, I want to joyfully submit to his will for my life. So we have the good guys. We've got the disciples. And we learn from them that my simple little pieces of obedience, God in his providence takes up and uses in mighty significant ways. Just know that your attendance here this morning is telling this community that there's a group of people here who know Jesus Amen. and that love them and are meeting to worship that Jesus and are willing to offer that Jesus to them at any time. Guys, this is heroic. This is significant. This is what the angels in heaven scratch their head over. How does that work? Why are they doing this? That's significant, disciple, and as you pursue Christ-likeness and work hard at that by God's grace, it's significant. It's being used. It will be continue to be used. We learn from the bad guys that indignation and being indignant, when, when God's word comes into our life or a friend or one of our disciplers says, hey, look, you know, you gotta, that's not right. 
You know, God's word seems to indicate that we need to go in a different direction. You know, that, that initial pride that sort of wells up. Learn to, 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 to dislike that, to distrust that. Learn to embrace the authority of Jesus. Learn to embrace the authority of his word when it's clearly understood. And embrace that and love that. Try not to be like the bad guys. And then thirdly, this morning we have these foils. These are, these are the, the ones who are going to reflect some amazing truths in the lives of the good guys. Or they may reveal some particularly bad things about the bad guys. But the first thing, I, I would identify the, the foils here could be the crowd, but I think it's also these children who are mentioned, who kind of continue the theme. Some, some in the chronology of, of our passage here would say this would be the next day uh, when Jesus cleansed the temple a little bit. Some, some say it was the same day. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, the, the idea being here that the children just got this song in their head and they just went on singing it, as kids do, and they saw some new things in the temple that just filled them with amazement and wonder. You know, children get wonder. Children understand that. You know, we as adults often forget what is truly wonderful, don't we? Uh, we allow familiarity or perhaps associations uh, with truly wonderful things spoil our ability to see it anymore or to really appreciate it. You know, the beauty of children is their simplicity. Uh, they're less often affected by the complications that we adults carry with us in life. And all of the competing notions that wonder may suggest. Um, can be said, for better or worse, that children call it like they see it. <laughs> you know, I, some of us have been in the company of children and they call it like they see it. And we blush a little bit. Uh, and we, you know, I'm not going to go into any specific examples. I think you know what I'm talking about. But they call it what they, they see. And they often will repeat things incessantly. If you're familiar with that, I had the joy of spending some time with my grandson, who, when he wants something, <laughs> you just knew it, you know? And, and it just was, uh, he was focused and repeating it until it was forthcoming. Children have this ability. Um, it's interesting what Jesus says here in response to the, the scribes and Pharisees here. Uh, they say, went all the way down there now in verse number, um, where are we at, 15, 16. Uh, the children are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They become, the, the scribes and chief priests become indignant, and they say to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. And then he quotes a passage of scripture. I believe it's from Psalm 8. Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise for yourself. And um, that's really a stunning passage that Jesus refers to as he combats uh, the evil that exists in the bad guys. And that is this indignant nature that they have over Jesus' true authority to command them. The NIV, I think, renders Psalm 8 probably the best in terms of simply understanding it. And, and you'll, 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 you'll recognize the psalm. Uh, 
uh, it's that how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think there's songs written about that. But the specific passage that Jesus quotes, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. So think about that. God has set his glory in the heavens. I mean, that's a profound thought, a big thought. And it's like he goes from the massive expanses of the universe. And then he goes immediately down to the most simple expressions, the uncomplicated expressions of a child. And the psalmist says this, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Amen. See, these kids, are they're just going to say it, high priests and scribes, regardless of what you try to do. You can crucify me. But these children who I impact, who I influence, who I demonstrate my amazing wonder to, they will shout out in my behalf. Certainly here we have chronologically children, but I think it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say we who have been overcome by the simplicity of the gospel, we have been made simple in our faith like that of a child. Amen. And we have been overcome, I hope, with wonder. Do you remember that day? I was nine years old. Wonder filled my heart concerning the person of Jesus. Sin crushed down in its guilt on my being. And Jesus was such a breath of fresh air at nine years old. Do you remember that, dearly beloved? That day you came to Jesus? I trust your heart was filled with wonder. And I fear perhaps the wonder has, has, has gone out. Maybe. May God give us the courage and the ability to stir that up. Amen. To not allow that to be lost. These foils. The foils teach us how complicated evil is and how simple true belief in Jesus Christ is. It's so simple that a child can understand it and appreciate it. They saw what they saw. They saw blind and lame coming into the temple. And Jesus just saying, be done. And they were healed. I mean, kids, can you, you know, I try to do some magic up there with the kids, spin plates, you know, <laughs> do all this kind of stuff. But my friends, no kid stops and really is that impressed, you know. <laughs> but, but when they see, you know, Jim, who has been lame all of his life, and Jesus speaks a word to him. I, I mean, they're, they're overcome. They're dumbfounded. And that's what they were seeing. Blind people seeing who had never seen before. Well, you energize a kid with that kind of stuff. And they're never going to shut up. You know what I mean? And we ought never to shut up. Because spiritually, we've been made to see. Spiritually, our lame feet have been healed this is our Lord. This is our Savior. And the hero, right? We can't say anything. We've said a lot about the hero already. But here he is in, 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 in the elegance of simplicity, right? There, there's a lot of mystery in the person of the Messiah. 
But here we have him in his just simplicity and, and probably some of the clearest expressions of, of who he is and what he's seeking to do. You know, isn't it true that true heroes have a much more nuanced understanding of what's really going on? And if that's true, Jesus is a hero that outpaces any possible heroic candidates. His understanding is an understanding that is from everlasting to everlasting. He accurately locates the greatest need of every man and woman who has ever been born or whoever will be born. He knows it. And he sets his face to meet that need in an unrelenting way. He lets nothing get in the way until the heroic deed of the salvation of the soul of mankind is completed. The king's interest in this first advent was not just to Hosanna, not just to save now. That's what the crowds were after. His interests were from everlasting to everlasting. Saving now is a pittance. He wants to save you from everlasting to everlasting. That's his interest. He's the hero. He has heroic interests that are beyond even our wildest imaginations. This is our king. This is what he does. He wants to save for all eternity. You know, we would argue with the hero, we wouldn't be surprised that this whole triumphal entry began long before Jesus ever stepped a foot into Jerusalem. And, and upon further investigation, that's in fact true. If we had time, we could look all the way back to Matthew 16. And there we read Jesus' foretelling of his death. And he says this, from that time, or at least Matthew reports, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So long before Jesus ever stepped in Jerusalem, the hero knew. The hero knew what he had to do, just like any good hero does. And we would argue this, that the triumphal entry, regardless of the tradition that the church wraps all around it, that the triumphal entry into Jerusalem had little to do with Hosanna. Save now. As we've already argued, it had everything to do with saving for all eternity. You know, in Luke chapter 9, uh, the historian of the New Testament says this in, in Luke 9.51, when the days were approaching for, it's interesting, way back in Luke 9, I think we have the report of, 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 of Palm Sunday in the in 20, somewhere 21 of Luke. So this is quite a bit previous to the Palm Sunday. Luke reports that when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. So we would argue from the historian of the New Testament that Jesus' view wasn't even in this week in particular. His view was on the absolute accomplishment of the task that was before him. And that was 
his bodily ascension into heaven where he will announce to the church why stand you there gazing, or the angels will after Jesus ascends, why stand you there gazing, looking up into heaven this same Jesus who ascended in this manner will come again you you go into Jerusalem Judea, Samaria uttermost parts of the world and make disciples. Make disciples. That's what Jesus had in view, according to Luke, a historian. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 tells us um, that verb translated determined is, is, a, is an idiom in Luke 9, and, and, and if you have a King James Bible on your lap, you'll read the idea that he fixed his face like a flint. Some of your translations may read, he fixed his face to this. This is an idiom meaning that he was determined, but I, but I love the idiom. This is the face of Christ. Doesn't the face tell us so much? Right? All of the emotions are right here. They're in the eyes. They're in the mouth. The face. Jesus' face, the whole of his person, is set to this task. You know, I would encourage you to study the theme of Jesus' face in the Gospels. Oh, it's rich. We're told when we fast, Jesus doesn't like a gloomy face. He doesn't like gloomy faces. I don't know if Jesus ever had much of a gloomy face as a result of his spiritual duties. He wouldn't do that. He encouraged us not to have a gloomy face. Matthew chapter 17, when he was transfigured, the report is that his face shone like the sun. Can you imagine that? There's a face. Why does that face submit himself to anything else? That's my question. I wouldn't. <laughs> I would just be sun-like, not worry about anything else. Jesus amazingly does. In Matthew chapter 26, that face falled down on itself and it prayed to the Father and it begged the Father for this cup to be passed from him. This cup of suffering. This face prayed all alone in that moment. No one else. Everybody else was asleep. And this face prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And God answered that request. Amen. God's will was done, and Jesus' body was shred and bled violently because of the anger and wrath for your sin and my sin. This is that face. Matthew 26, this was the face that had spittle dropping off of it. For you and for me. The very face that shone like the sun. The very face that was set like a flint to Jerusalem to do what he had to do. This was that face. This amazing, loving face. This face of Jesus. So as we come in this, in this week... we think of the Passion Week of the King, 
we have the offering of all of the gospel accounts to take Jesus. Hope you take some time to read those accounts this week, to meditate upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you're encouraged, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a good guy. And that every little thing you're doing in obedience to Christ is significant. I mean, if it's significant to go get a donkey for Jesus, can I say it's, it's significant for you as husbands and wives, as, as a church body, to be united in Christ? Can I say that? I think so. And the work that you press to do that is significant and is caught up by divine providence and makes Grace Church of Menor the kind of, have the kind of impact that Jesus wants it to have in her community. Remember the warning of, of indignation over authority, particularly spiritual authorities in your lives, particularly when those spiritual authorities are, are doing their best to follow the word of God. Don't be somebody who's indignant. Learn to distrust your indignation and love humility. Right? Let's, let's do that. Let's be like the kids. Let's not lose the wonder. Let's, let's marvel at the healing of Christ in our own life. The blind eyes, spiritually blind, that were made to see. The lame feet who had no help on the inside. We were just tripping along so pathetically. Jesus has come in there and he started to organize things. He's given us our spiritual feet back. May we, like the children, wonder at it and keep continue to say, Jesus, the son of David, he is the one. And then finally, the hero. Let's learn from him. Let's love him. Let's get a lot better at worshiping him. Let's get a lot better at telling him how special he is. Have you ever thought about that? And we've got these amazing hymns, and, and they're so helpful in that. But I would encourage you just, just to go home and try to give Jesus some compliments and write them down. I mean, isn't, isn't that the essence of worship? Amen. I mean... Just try it. Tell him how special he is. And, and, and the only way I knew to do that is to sort of compare that to my reality. So I'll say, you know, Jesus, I love my kids. And I really love my grandkids. <laughs> Nate and Luke and Seth, I love you guys a bunch. But, uh, but you know, Jesus, you love them far more than I ever could. Way more than I ever could infinitely, eternally, from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus, I just stand in awe at how you can love. Thank you, Jesus. You're amazing. I'm sure you have some experiences in your life. He's truly heroic. What's worthy of my affections is Jesus. I submit to you this morning... In the face of the coming Passion Week, there's only one worthy hero in all of human history. You know, we live in a Marvel world, and I use that word technically. There seems to be a new Marvel hero coming out almost weekly. And uh, we need heroes. We need to worship a hero. And here he is. Here is the exclusive hero of all time and eternity. For human beings like you and me, 
It's King Jesus and him alone. Marvel at him, dearly beloved. Give him your affections. He can handle it. He can steward those well. King Jesus has heroically removed all the weight and the guilt and the wrath of God for our sin if we're willing but to put our faith and trust in him alone. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need him to be your hero. It's just that simple. You cannot face eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ. Hell is an eternal place. Nobody wants you to go there. God himself doesn't want you to go there. In fact, the Bible says hell is prepared for Satan and his demons. The problem with why humanity goes there is because they joyfully embrace the spirit and the heart Satan and his demons. They're indignant at the authority of God. That's why we go. Because we're complicit. Let's not be complicit. Let's choose Jesus and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. I just wish I had more words, better words, more poetic words. Thank you for those who work hard in giving us the poetic, beautiful words Help us to tell you, Jesus, how special you are. And I pray that as a result of this Passion Week, we would grow in our understanding of who you are, Jesus, and, and that we would have new thoughts and new ideas to carry us through this particular year concerning you and worship. Uh, Lord, help us to get good at that. We're good at telling each other compliments and all that, and, but, oh, Jesus, you are the one worthy of compliments. You are our hero, and we worship you. We love you. Take us now as we go. Encourage our hearts in Jesus' name.